We've been doing uh, a series on the crowns, which was my bright idea a long time ago, which was to fit in with the Olympics. And when I came to, I just picked this out and didn't see its context. And I'm afraid you can have a sermon about elders. They're the ones who receive the crown here. But I want to be inclusive as well. So it's a bit of a mistake on my part. There is a crown there. And the elders are the recipients of it, though not exclusively, I guess. But there is something that we can learn from this. We will be concentrating on the first four verses, but now to read from uh, the first 11. Elders and young men. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast, To him be the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the fourth of these um, uh, crowns that we've been looking at. And as I mentioned, uh, here it is, the crown of glory, which you have in verse 4. You'll see there the context, which uh, I not really noticed at the time, that is a reference to elders. So you might well say, Well, what has this got to do uh, and say to me? Well, hopefully, uh, as a church, we will uh, glean some benefit from uh, thinking about this part of God's word. What we mean by elders or, uh, or pastors, church leaders, is to have a pastoral oversight of a congregation or a church pastoral oversight. But you will notice that immediately the context, look at verse 1, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, Peter could have said I'm a chief apostle. And sometimes in 
church life, people can almost seem to pull rank. Do you know who I am? Don't you know? And so on. So here is Peter speaking to elders as a fellow elder, a witness to Christ's suffering, a one who will share in the glory to be revealed. So it's not for super saints, and it isn't for those who feel that they should become dictators or there was a period about 15, 20 years ago in the church, a thing called heavy shepherding. I reflect on a couple who came here who were in one of these parachurch groups where whatever they did, they had to go to speak to their elder, who almost took over their lives in a domineering way. And that's very unhelpful. So there has been heavy shepherding. But indeed, sometimes um, there can be lack of shepherding where the sheep are scattered. So it's difficult to get the balance. So when we think of an elder, and this would be a good illustration, particularly as we think of those who, even today, it's amazing to see the people receiving the gold medal um, and they've said, but you know, I'm part of a team, and they mention a host of people who've been around them, helping them, uh, encouraging them, and so on. So what do I mean? Well, an elder is a bit like the player coach. I think that's a good illustration, the player coach. He knows what it is to be involved in the game, and now what he wants to do is to pass on to the church some of his experience. But he's with them. He's still in the team. He's still a player. One of the things when I'm asked to give references for people, it's not uncommon for people to ask the one important thing, is he or she a team player? Because even though you can have very gifted people, if they are just individualists, then often that creates friction. And perhaps lesser able people who are team players can be a greater blessing. So he's in the team. He knows the pressures. He knows the disappointments and the struggles. And now he has wise counsel. So hopefully these two things will, will come out. First of all, wide counsel to the local church who appoint elders. And you'll know in the pastoral letters they say, lay hands on no man suddenly. If you appoint an elder, you're going to have to live with him. And uh, you may have regrets. Take your time. Don't rush into this. That would be one uh, good uh, word of wisdom. And the second is to the elders themselves. Uh, I want uh, a chart to come up before you, and uh, it's, uh, it, I don't know how it's going to come, uh, Sarah, but um, this might be uh, helpful. Here we are. Yes, there are, are they all? No, one at a time. That's good. So, here, just think about this uh, for a moment now. Um, and stay with me. We often think of the local church and elders as primarily preachers and teachers. I'm not quite so sure about that. Obviously, it's people who are clear in their faith know what they believe. But it seems as if Peter, the fellow elder, is focusing on other things. 
Notice the flock is not their own. This is God's flock. And that's very important. Verse 2. So these elders are called to be shepherds of God's flock. I've often taken note of some pastors who talk about my elders, my deacons, my church. No, it's God's church. It's his church. And Peter makes that perfectly clear here. Okay, so this graph that we have, uh, here's the negative. Uh, look at verse 2, for example. We're to be shepherds of God's flock that is in due care, serving as officers, not because you must. Do you put pressure, undue pressure, on people to take up this role? <coughs> not under compulsion. That's the negative. But the positive, but voluntarily. Here is, I've often thought about this, and, and think about it yourself, um, that in church life there are able people who are not willing. What you want to look for is willing people who are able but willingness comes before gifting. I'm not saying the gifting isn't important. Often it grows and develops through experience. How willing are we is the challenge uh, that we have here. Secondly, not for sordid gain. Now, this is, uh, or not for financial gain as you, as you have it there. It's hard to believe that because pastors are not the best paid people um, or church leaders for that matter. Even bishops are not overly paid but nevertheless there can be a sense of um, discontent there can be a sense that I'm entitled to all this and it's not about the amount it's about our whole approach uh, to, to money so it's not for, the, for financial gain but Notice the positive, with eagerness. Do you see that in verse 3? But eager to serve. Or is our service for the Lord, whether elders or anything, is it just a, a drudgery? And thirdly, look in verse 3, um, not lording it over those entrusted to you, I heard in one church of some pastors who were called like spiritual Gestapo. That's a terrible term to use. Um, how do you like them as elders? Maybe if you had a taste of that, you might think that the ones you have here are not so bad after all. So, not lording it over, giving people a hard time, but verse 3, rather, by being a role model, by being an example. Do you see these contrasts? No, they, no they're, they're quite stark in a way. And maybe you've had experience in different areas of uh, negative and positive. So when we think about um, this whole idea of um, elders, I think that's quite helpful as you have that uh, grid in front of you. Okay. What I'd like us to do now is just do three quick headings as we think about uh, communion. The first, and these headings come by way of um, qualities that are required of people who are going to be elders. The first is a personal experience with Jesus Christ. A 
personal experience of him and with him. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, witness of Christ's suffering. We are witnessing to the glory of Christ. We are witnesses of his redeeming love for us. Now, of course, the literal meaning of a witness is a martyr. But it's not only giving our lives for Christ in death, though we know so little of the suffering church in many parts of the world tonight. But, perhaps even more challenging, a witness in living daily for Christ. The daily grind. Living out, speaking out, being living witnesses, or as Paul says, living sacrifices. A personal experience of Jesus Christ. I am speaking about what I have seen and heard and experienced of his grace in my life. And it seems somehow, and we're thinking of glory, and this is applicable surely to all of us, inextricably linked with suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. There you have it. A witness of Christ's suffering and one who will share in the glory. It seems that both go together. Suffering and glory. Sometimes, conflict and controversy will emerge among elders. It cannot be otherwise. If you feel strongly about uh, issues in your life, or if you have a, a strong view on certain parts of scripture or spiritual experience, I would hope, and this is what I've always strived to do, that when, not if, conflict and controversy emerge among leaders, and let's say particularly elders, that it is also an opportunity for growth. I hope elders will say, well, I never, I never saw it like that before. Or we give the impression that we've got it all sewn up. Turn to one reference as we think about this. Here's a public quarrel. And the parallel to this would be Neil and I having a public quarrel in the pulpit. Now, I can't overemphasize this. So turn to Galatians uh, 2. We tend to look at the New Testament through rose-tinted spectacles, don't we? Here is an almighty bust-up. This is the Spirit-filled church, Galatians 2 and verse 11. Okay, Galatians 2:11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Well, that's clear enough, isn't it? Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, that's the circumcision group, as you see, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. There's a massive uh, split that was emerging. To the other Jews, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Here's this spiritual giant. So there's hope for us all, isn't there? And then verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you like to live 
like a Gentile and not like a Jew? How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And think of yourself for a moment. How often, if you've been aware of it, have you allowed your background to be your foreground? Here's the Jewish background. And these, this is clear hypocrisy. And here is this confrontation. But the point I'm making is this. It is an opportunity for growth. There's something exceedingly unhelpful and unspiritual when we give people the impression that we know it all. Secondly, a pastoral concern for Christ's flock. Look at the next two verses, verses 2 to 3. The flock, that's a very pastoral and familiar image in the Old and the New Testament. The example of Isaiah, Jesus gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. It's wonderful imagery of the fatherly heart of God. Jesus himself frequently made reference to himself as a shepherd. We're sentimental about uh, shepherds. In, in the Middle East, often it's the lowest form of employment and often the lower social echelons, particularly in Asian countries. Indeed, some Wycliffe translations have had to change the term Jesus as a shepherd because it just doesn't fit. And yet, for us, a shepherd or an elder is the idea of being an under-shepherd. You see again in verse 2, then, elders are to be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you may, and so on and so forth. Let me then ask you to think about this and think about church and leadership and although it may not seem higher on your agenda now nevertheless it's something that should occupy our thinking Peter gives three essential attitudes in this context of leadership now I don't think it's unique to elders but seeing as we're thinking about elders we'll stay with that so here they are, the first one. We don't need to spend too long with these. Uh, in verse 2, an attitude of willingness. An attitude of willingness. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. So I have every right to ask you, how willing are you? So many people have compared themselves with others and have contracted out of meaningful service. That is not the point. By comparing ourselves with other people, whether we are less or more spiritual or more mature or more informed, the question is, how willing are we? An attitude of willingness. Well, I don't need to say any more about that. And the second attitude, look in verse 2, an attitude of eagerness. Can you be counted or counted upon? Are we simply on the membership list or are we those whom people would readily ask for help? So the question is, not only how willing am I, but how eager am I? And often the eagerness 
of involvement in church life can dissipate through disappointment. So this would be a question. How would you score from 0 to 5? Score yourself. Don't score anybody else. For spiritual enthusiasm. And don't beat yourself up either. You know, it's, this is tricky. If you did that, what would be an in, if you've done it already, score yourself 0 to 5. And then if you dare to do this, ask somebody who really knows you. See if you score the same. Well, I'm not going to do that, so, but I can but ask and suggest. How would you score one zero to five for spiritual enthusiasm? Is our eagerness seen by others, even unconsciously to us? Is there an eagerness to serve, particularly when it's unseen? An attitude of willingness, an attitude of eagerness. Look at verse 3, an attitude of meekness. Of course, Jesus is our great role model here. But I have to ask the question, after each of these, where is the servant heart? Where is the servant heart? Not lording it over those entrusted to you, verse 3, but being examples to the flock. Not what you say, not what you believe, not the high ground that you have, but what sort of example are you? Now, those things are very important in terms of church leadership. And lastly, a passionate motive to please Jesus Christ. Surely there can be no substitute for that, whether we are elders, whether we have a role, defined or not. And so verse 4, and when, and now we come to the crown. I know it's taken a while, and you'll appreciate it's nothing to do with the Olympics. When I started, I thought it did, but it hasn't. So um, there it is, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Well, that's outside of this time. There will be, I'm sure, unsung heroes in glory, for sure. But now, where God's placed us, where we are, men and women, a motive, elders or not, to please Jesus Christ. If the motive of a pastor is to please himself... And it can be. And let's be fair. Sometimes, all of us, it's hard to know what is our real motive. Do we like the sound of our voice? Can we be overbearing? If the motive of a pastor or an elder is to please himself, then it's a failed ministry. It's a failed ministry. It must be. Or, if it is to please people, and this is a tricky one, then I would say to you it's going to be a frustrating ministry because you can't please everybody. I know it's a cliche. Some people try too hard. We must try. But ultimately with some people we have to agree to disagree 
God willing without being disagreeable. We like that. So, if an elder or a pastor is, his ministry is all about him, or it's all about people to get the praise of people and the kudos and, of, of all of that and so on, then it's a failed ministry. But, if there is a heart response to please Jesus Christ in any situation, then surely that will be a fruitful ministry, a fruitful time. No leaders are above criticism. And sometimes the criticism is rightly placed. But not always. But in the end, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's about him. So, to conclude, as we think about a rather strange sermon, because in many ways, I don't know where the crown of gold comes into this, but the Olympics are brilliant, aren't they? And I'm glad you, stay, you didn't stay at home, you came tonight, even though Murray is still playing. Probably have two goals, which will be really good. However, back to the crown of gold. Um, three things. First, Jesus is a good shepherd. That's what he said. That's on his CV. I am the good shepherd. He's not like the hired shepherds who don't care about the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Total contrast to the West where sheep need to be driven. No. He goes before. We hear his voice. We follow him. We follow him. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. We often use this as part of the, of the, of the doxology, don't we? And uh, when the service comes to an end, in, in Hebrews 13, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. He's a good shepherd. He died for the sheep. He's a great shepherd. He lives for the sheep. And interestingly here, as Peter speaks about the Lord Jesus, he is the chief shepherd. You see that in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on gold. Going for gold. Go for it. He's the chief shepherd. He will come back for his sheep. And where the under-shepherds fail, then keep your eye upon him. He won't fail. And when we get things wrong, let's learn from that and be a community of people who grow together, who value one another and affirm one another. As we come to the Lord's table, Let's remind ourselves that he is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And as we've heard his voice, 
Let's follow him. And let's take fresh heart. No one shall snatch us out of his hand. So let's have a prayer together.